I don't consider myself to be a very materialistic person. And yet in the last six months, I have bought on online from the internet or based on ads that I've seen on the internet. Uh, and I'm just going to read a list here. Adidas sneakers, Anastasia Beverly Hills glow highlighter palette, Fashion Nova Curve dresses, ASOS dresses, a fancy lamp. And this is a list of things that I almost bought but stopped myself because I realized I didn't need these things. But the attraction was so strong. Colourpop Main Squeeze Eyeshadow Palette, Polaroid One Stop One Step Plus Camera, Fuji Instax Mini 9 Camera, Girlfriend Leggings, Squarespace Website, a Balloon Dog Sculpture by Jeff Koons, Native Shoes Sneakers, and lots of other odds and ends like jewellery, more makeup, skincare products, and a little pocket projector so that I can project and watch Netflix on my ceiling. I'm really glad that I didn't buy these things, but some part of me also feels sad that I can't have all of these pretty things that I see on Instagram because it's polluting to the environment and draining on my bank account and creating unnecessary clutter in my life and it doesn't align with my values. When I felt low in life, when I felt depressed and alone and isolated from the world, one of the ways for me to get back into things was to look good and looking good meant buying things or or making an effort with my physical appearance to meet conventional beauty or presentation standards those are the things that made me feel more human I felt like if I was taking an interest in my physical appearance or in consuming things then I was in the mainstream and that I was somehow safe I'm sure I'm not the only one that's felt this pressure to consume in order to be a part of society and I know that a lot of millennial identity is tied up in consumption our self-expression is tied up in our in our looks in our appearances so these are some of the ideas that I am going to be talking about with my guest today Margot Tanhutko Margot is so smart she's a filmmaker she is a comedian she's written two plays and performed at comedy festival And I have a really interesting conversation with her about what consumerism means to us as millennials and where Instagram fits in with all of this. So stay tuned and enjoy. This is Amrutha and you're listening to Heckin' Concerned Podcast. Hi, Margot. Hey. Welcome to Heck and Concern Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Do you ever have this when you're crying really hard and then you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, oh, wow, I cry really well. Like I could, if I, I should do this in a scene if I was in a movie and then you imagine what the shot would look like. Yeah, I, I actually will <laughs> one up you on that and say that I do film myself <laughs> um, because in one day I'm going to release like a video art thing of just me crying Because, like, it's so strange and it really takes you outside of yourself. Because sometimes you're crying and it's this, like, emotion and it's a really strong emotional response that's maybe not 
right for yeah. this for the smaller situation that you're responding to and like that's fine but I kind of need to film myself and be like what am I doing yeah 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 I would love to see an exhibition of you I walk imagine walking into a room filled with screens mm-hmm. all sorts of screens there's like old-fashioned TVs Ooh. there's a projection there's like phone screens and iPads and on all of the screens you're crying at different scales different yes, resolutions. Different. I'm going to do that. <laughs> yes, I would love I'll it. I'll dedicate it to you. Yeah, some have happy tears, some have ugly crying, some yes. have just a tear running down the eyes. Yeah. Oh, that's that's really stunning. Mm. Yeah, I, will, I might actually do that <laughs> so soon. Sooner than you think. Please. I'll credit you. Yes, thank you. You're a creative director. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yes. This is actually, yes, I'm giving myself goosebumps. Mm-hmm. This is like real <laughs> MoMA shit. This. this is legit MoMA shit. Like, I'm so serious right now. <laughs> um, yeah, because it could be a commentary on uh, the the different kinds of screens. On performative, performative sadness. sadness. Performative right. Um, performative truthfulness and how you have to adjust the qualities of that for different kinds of screens mm. right. you can't do too much ugly crying on instagram like you can cry but no, because then you're ugly yeah right you can't have like an insta story with like snot dripping down your face all blair witch project oh no, and it's like no, no. <laughs> you can't do that um, okay, so before we go on anymore in our crazy... Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was such a tangent. <laughs> um, I want to introduce you. You are probably the youngest guest I've had on the podcast. Ooh, I'm 23. Um, oh, you're 23. You are oh the, youngest God, the youngest I've guest I've had on the podcast. <laughs> and you're really bridging the line between millennials and... Uh, and Gen Z. And Gen Z. Yeah, You're I'm on the cusp. 95, so. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really excited because now my podcast has officially gone beyond millennials to the next generation. Thank you for representing. <laughs> Great. All of Gen Z. <laughs> I'm not Gen Z. Uh, so you are a filmmaker, playwright, actor, improviser. I guess comedian. Comedian. More than improviser. Yeah. yeah. Comedian. Um, you recently performed, a, you recently wrote a play that was performed at Melbourne Theatre Company. Yeah. The Gloss. Yeah. Um, so um, MTC, uh, Melbourne Theatre Company and Emerging Writers Festival uh, collab to make First Stage, which, which is a program that helps writers who haven't necessarily written a play before. Um, so I wrote a play called The Gloss. It was fifth, it, it was 20 minutes and it was just about um, a co-working space for women and non-binary people of color. And it was a post-place, post-race, post-gender co-working space called The Gloss. It was based on The Wing in New York City. And um, there's the character of Ira, who's the brand specialist, and she loves The Gloss. She lives and breathes The Gloss. And um, one day, Billy from Dirtbag Press, who is like their enemy, um, their rival kind of publication, comes in investigating them and basically uh in the gloss it's all about like the homogenized metropolis and being really proud of it and trying to make your own identity for yourself um and at dirtbag press it's like the opposite end of the spectrum where you're really embracing your ethnicity and you're like learning the folk dances and writing mango poems mm-hmm. and um and, and like st- having little s- trips where you stay in huts to really get in touch with like i don't know with like your history or past or whatever and so they're like oh you're not real enough oh you're too real blah 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 it's 
that kind of like what is authentic and what is true because they're both like second generation people of color. And so at the end of that play, it's revealed that the same person owns both of the places. Wow. Yeah, so it's the same. Yeah. I love that. That is so true of the world we live in these days. For example, um, every like in all of the health food shops, you'll find this like fancy brand organic teas called Paka. Mm-hmm. And mm. I realized that Paka is owned by Unilever, oh, which also owns Lipton. Shoot. Oh, gosh. And yeah, of course. a bunch of other Damn. really commercial supermarket products. Yeah. So it's like you're embracing this lifestyle where you're, you know, you think that you're actually making a change and a difference in the world, but it's the same person that that's controlling your choices yeah. of self-expression, your choices of consuming stuff. It's all an evil parent company. Yeah, it's all evil. And they want you to just buy both of their things. Yeah. I've been recently um, got into the habit of looking at the parent companies of any makeup brands. Ooh, nice. That's a good habit. Yeah, but it gets really tedious and it gets really tiring Mm. because it's like it's here's the thing. So I still buy products from Unilever, from Nestle. Yeah, I mean, same. Yeah, right. I care about the environment. I care about palm oil and deforestation of the orangutans environment i care about all of these things i care about animal testing but when it comes to food products i still buy some food products that are owned by evil parent companies Mm -hmm. but when it comes to personal care and cosmetics i somehow seem to draw the line yeah that's really interesting um and so i don't buy like any personal care products shampoo soaps whatever i don't buy any cosmetics makeup from anyone that's remotely connected to evil parent companies I didn't even buy Rihanna's Fenty <gasps> line because it's vegan, but Rihanna wears fur. Oh, I, the line. <laughs> the line Fenty is so glorious, though. Their packaging, their color oh, options. Great. That's um, so interesting that you do draw the line between, like, food yeah. and, like, quote-unquote, like, everyday normal items. Yeah. And then there's, like, kind of luxury items, like... Makeup, makeup makeup and skincare yeah that's really interesting because i feel like a lot of people would as well mm. and it's i guess an arbitrary it's arbitrary line it's a... isn't it i don't know what's yeah. influenced it but it's there it maybe affords me some sense of control like i think food is like a much more primal thing it's more it's more tied into your comfort and your mood and your habits and everything but mm-hmm. it's easy to break habits of other things like personal care products or whatever yeah um so what inspired the gloss why did you write that Uh, It was just my own. Well, it it was inspired because I thought to myself, you know what, I feel like I hate countries and those kind of borders, but I love the city Mm. and I feel so much more related to cities. Um, And so I was like, oh, what does it mean to feel more related to a city? And And so it was like, oh, am I trying to distance myself from my Filipino roots? Am I trying to distance myself from God, like my ancestors or my my family or my history and trying to embrace, I don't know, a type of whiteness, but I don't think I am. I'm trying I'm trying to be mindful about that. Like maybe I mean, I'm sure at some level I probably am. But it's just about, oh, like I've always loved the city and I've, I mean, I've always lived in the city, even even in the Philippines. And so it's like, what is the homogenized metropolis and why does that feel home to me? You know, like cafes that look the same, whether you're in Tokyo or Melbourne or literally like in Palawan. When I was in the Philippines, there was a cafe with like swings and it and like crates and stuff and it was like that that's exactly like any cafe that you mm-hmm. see in Melbourne and it was an aesthetic called airspace mm. and yeah it's just that like 
relatively minimal, like white walls and white walls or brick walls, bare brick walls and blonde wood and succulents and that that whole aesthetic that I feel very akin to Mm -hmm. like that was very like tumblr and instagram based Mm. um and then and then all those tumblr and instagram people grow up and own cafes and decorate them the same way yeah that they saw on the internet when they were younger so yeah so So you were thinking about identity when you started to think about the play you were going to write for this program yeah and so it was just those two kind of opposites of having like trying too hard to connect with your culture and then not then just wanting to kind of let go of it completely Mm. and kind of neither of those things is kind of authentic in a way Mm. because I feel like even with the character of Billy who is obsessed with trying to reconnect with their culture and I grew up in the Philippines for the first 10 years of my life and so when you have people like artists there who are like oh I just like we love punk rock we love metal and you have diaspora writers writing about I don't know like they're their moms or the mangoes that's like how is that more or less real than Mm. the people in the philippines who are like we just want to forget about this and write about write about our fantasies and write about our dreams Mm. how interesting but you know what you said about the the cafe aesthetic yeah i was reading an article about this maybe last year and they talked about how the world is really um becoming uh, a smaller place partly due to cafe aesthetic so Mm. travelers can go to any part of the world and have that brick exposed walls blonde wood brushed yeah aluminum. and airbnbs as well that was airbnbs a massive one. Yeah. right and so it's everybody is trying to just find sameness mm. and a comfort wherever they go uh, and i find the same with um the sameness of looks and style is really spreading everywhere th- because of the internet so for example on on instagram if you look at an influencer from Um, Australia, an influencer from India, for example, or an Mm. influencer from the US, they all have similar looks. They all have the injected lips with a, which are really Mm -hmm. enhanced. The Kardashian look. I'm so fascinated by it. Of like, um, yeah, like the really neutral tones. Everything, yeah, exactly. And really heavy contour. I think it's incredible. It's like that. Everywhere that they go, you know, they all have um, a certain kind of um, aesthetic that they use to take their vlogs. Yeah, of like a white wall and like really bright lighting. Yeah. That's kind of become the uniform for like yeah. a vlog. And then that's all supported by the fact that uh, corporations sell the same products all mm. over the world. So people from different countries show the use of the same products on the internet. And the aesthetic is the same with which they present it. And this this homogenization of appearance and looks is really makes me a bit uncomfortable actually yeah that's like so fair it, it's so fascinating to me like seriously yeah because I, I like it's already happened mm. like we can't undo that and it'll happen even more and at the same time there's this kind of thirst for authenticity and like I, I love to think about authenticity because I think it's bullshit yeah the pursuit for real authenticity I just don't think is the thing um but I love people trying to escape this and the millennial fantasy of leaving 
um, of leaving the city or and moving to the country and uh, and traveling in a van for the rest of the life. What? And van I was like, life no looks oh my the God, same in life. every fucking country. And I'm like, I like literally don't know why you would want to do that. No. <laughs> it's that um, it's that whole um, aesthetic of um, taking lush pictures out of the back of a V-dub van. Whichever country you do it in, van life looks exactly the same. Yeah, you have the same aesthetic that's probably inspired by. Uh, products like Canva, which allow you to put the same kinds of filters mm-hmm. and the same kinds of art around mm-hmm. your like this, and now it's appearing everywhere. It's appearing from wedding invitation cards to Instagram mm-hmm. posts to websites to um, full blown actual ads. Yeah, all around the world. Totally. So the it's uh, a privileged thing. As it's well, a privileged thing. Have this fantasy of leaving. Yeah, work. But I think millennials all over the world are trying to find that difference between just a job and self-actualization and Mm self-fulfillment. And that trend was probably influenced by Western countries and Mm. spread throughout the world because of increased globalization. Everyone is now thinking that I too could be my own person rather than what my family, my neighbors, my society, my culture expects of me. Mm -hmm. And that, that ideal is really spreading through the world. Yeah, I was reading something just yesterday actually about Um, after John Kennedy was shot and like all the Manson murders happened, people really, really disillusioned with the 1960s and like the hope and the peace and love that came with that. And so they all moved into communes or a lot of the young people moved into communes or, you know, enough that like the hippie culture and like running away to the farm and and then all the cults started happening. And I'm like, that's exactly kind of the fantasy that people are having now of being disillusioned with like global warming and like the economy and capitalism. And we're like, oh, we will be so unique and we're going to we're going to leave this all behind. And that's possible because I'm my own person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That is the fantasy of escaping and mm. even for example when scott morrison government got re-elected everyone was like i'm gonna new zealand oh my god um Just... but yeah this thing, same thing like i want a tree change i want a more natural pure life which is admirable except for the fact that most of these products are made available to us by big corporations that are trying to sell us a natural pure life but yeah. the roots of where <laughs> those products come from is anything but natural mm. or pure or um, I mean, from a scientific perspective, one would argue it is natural because we are humans and that's how we've evolved and these are the technologies we have. But I'm talking more so from a pseudo sort of wooey perspective. It's not natural. It's not in harmony with nature. Yeah. In order to fuel our wants, in order to fulfill our desire for commodities, we're raising forests as though it's something separate from us. Mm. Whereas if we saw it as a part of us, as a part of... Um, everything that that you know the land the air the trees around us we're all a part of the same ecosystem if we saw ourselves in the ecosystem a bit more we would probably not abuse the forests and our natural resources in this way Mm -hmm. yeah no that that's really true like yeah um so when before you wrote the gloss you wrote vanity fair enough and performed it at Mm -hmm. melbourne international comedy festival 2019 yeah this year hey how was that experience and what was vanity fair enough about uh vanity fair enough is is a i guess it's a cabaret you can call it um but it's mostly like pop and rock bangers about capitalism and climate change um what inspired you to write that yeah, I was, like, so sad at the time. Like, I was, like, at a very, very low point. And 
at the start, it was kind of more fringe theatery. Um, kind of, uh, there was a bigger relationship or bigger emphasis on mental health and and consumerism. Um, and it was called Material Hurl back then. I can't <laughs> believe I even liked that title. It's cool. It was cool. It was cute. Um, and then uh, over time, I was like, oh, I actually don't want to be sad or I don't want to talk about just my mental health anymore. Because um, I'd kind of like, it was kind of this quite dark, like kind of three, four month period that it was bad. And so I used that period that during those like three, four month period, I was so intensely on this Instagram rebranding. And I was on Instagram really bookmarking and like screenshotting and making collections of aesthetics that I liked and like and and the influencers that I liked and the style and the kind of clothes that I liked and using that as a way to craft like craft a a version of me that I was that I felt more in harmony with Mm. which feels really strange but I was very very anxious before before that whole rebranding um but something at the core of me was like so afraid of showing people like who I really was yeah and so during that really dark period I realized like I really saw the void and I was so emotionally low and tired that it was like wow I can't keep going like this and I kind of I wrote a lot and I journaled a lot and I went to therapy and it was like oh gosh I can't I really can't I just can't that was kind of it and so I really used Instagram as a way to become more confident and yeah because like when you're in your head that much yeah you do have to be like that's not real or like my emotions or my reactions to the things don't have to always be something I act on whereas you have clothes and you're like this is real and this is like a physical object that people can see. And if I can use that to communicate how I really feel about myself and what the world, what I want the world to see about me, then I can maybe become the person that I've always known yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah. I really identify with that. That makes so much sense that you needed some control over. Mm-hmm. Control uh, maybe you it. were feeling, maybe your um, depression and anxiety were being enhanced or heightened by the fact that you were not living by your values which and Mm. and a part of your aesthetic your how you present yourself is a part of your values yeah so when you weren't really being the person that you were the we weren't really wearing clothes or doing the creative things that were true to you that felt true Mm. to you that was probably adding to the existing turmoil in your head yeah because i was genuinely like this feeling of why doesn't anyone, why can't anyone see how good I am is basically kind of one of the core questions mm-hmm. and frustrations. And it was like, oh, they can't see because I'm actually not showing them. Mm-hmm. And I am not yelling it from the top of the roofs or mm-hmm. whatever. And I'm not being proud of who I was. I was very afraid of being judged. Yeah. And it was, okay, it was therapy, a lot of reflecting. Yeah. And, and, and Instagram is a massive mm. part of that. Um, yeah, I completely hear that because last year I had a really bad year. I had a very big depressive episode. Mm-hmm. And then part of coming out of that for me included chopping off all my hair. Oh, yes. Uh, because I always felt the same way as you, which is that 
I'm done being this safe person that presents a that presents a socially acceptable image of myself to others for fear of judgment. Mm. I wanted in part it was influenced by Instagram because I wanted to look like some of these androgynous um, styles and aesthetics and influences I'd seen mm-hmm. on Instagram or mm-hmm. I wanted to more so it was influenced by the way in which people on Instagram really owned their own style mm. and they crafted their whole personality everything all aspects of their expression were in line what they what was coming out of their mouths what was coming out of their creative work and what they were wearing on their bodies yeah. seemed to align and I thought I really want to be like that because for me that was a part of letting go of some of the anxieties and shame around who I am mm-hmm. and like you said um maybe using my look to show the world that this is also who I am yeah. and deal with it mm. so I chopped off all my hair I got yes. a really short haircut but my psychologist said that when people are having really big emotional shifts it is very common for them to make changes to their appearance mm. uh, it's a sign outward sign of growth and change internally mm-hmm. so I completely get what you're saying when you decided that a part of your self-acceptance was also the that you were going to craft a strong aesthetic for yourself yeah totally and I like what you said um when you just mentioned like not being ashamed of yourself anymore like uh, kind of letting go of that shame of who I was yeah was a ma- was yeah one of those big steps yeah and clothes have a really big part to play in that for somebody if, uh, for people that struggle with low self-esteem due to their physical appearance mm-hmm. for example fat people um, have always tried to minimize the way they look yeah through clothes and when you see somebody on Instagram, like a body positivity influencer, really flaunting their bodies, their fat rolls, their everything, you want to you want to do that and wear clothes that you would never never worn before. Yeah. Even if that look doesn't look great, but you mm-hmm. want to have the freedom to experiment yeah. and see what works for you. Yeah. Because um, like all body types have the right to experiment. Yeah. And have the right to hit and miss. For example, here's another thing, right? Um. Suppose you've always really wanted to try like a retro aesthetic, mm-hmm. but you just weren't sure and you see other people effortlessly layering. Like, for example, what you're wearing right now is so cool. And nice. I would look at that and think, oh, she's so effortlessly done that. But if I had to try that at home, I would have a few awkward moments where it would not look good. It would, you know, whatever. But uh, me in in my previous sort of uh days would have not even tried for fear mm. of getting it wrong once or twice oh yes you too oh yeah sometimes i'm like look i don't know about this outfit but we're gonna give it a whirl or yeah and even just the thrill of wearing an out of wearing an ensemble that you haven't worn together before yeah. it's like oh interesting oh, yeah we'll see yeah. if i can own this yeah and if it doesn't like sometimes it's a miss and you're like eh, it's a miss okay yeah it's like a, an artwork that's like you know what that's not that good but oh well but that confidence in, in owning up things that were misses and things that were hits uh, comes from sort of being more comfortable with yourself. Yeah. And, and knowing like you, we play it safe because we're afraid of getting it wrong. Mm. But if we take risks with ourselves, but you're not able to take risks if you're feeling anxious and depressed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so good. Oh, that's so, so good. You really I think it was really cool that when you were at your lowest point, you decided that you have nothing to lose, so you're going to risk it all. And yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, well, can't get worse than this. Yeah. I mean, it could have, but um, yeah, it was like, it was bad. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well done. Gotta go back up, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And there's this one time, I remember the time in my recent history when I really made some very weird and bold choices was, so I chopped off all my hair. Mm-hmm. I'd ordered this cool off-the-shoulder bodycon dress from Fashion Nova Co. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've never Fashion ordered Nova. anything from Fashion Nova. I will someday. Please. It's like, it's so addictive shopping on Fashion Nova. Some, that I mean, most of the I don't want to start. Are... I was like, oh, God, all my clothes will come from here. <laughs> but most of the clothes are bizarre on yeah. Fashion Nova. Oh, I stand. <laughs> but anyway, I ordered this, and I also, at the start of this year, uh, or maybe last year, I went out and I bought um, what I'd always wanted. I bought a pair of white Adidas um, sneakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they were the, not Yeezys, but something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, I've always wanted to be the person that had white sneakers and then oh, like Adidas yeah. ones. Hell yeah. Um, so that day I was on a date. So I had this weird chopped off hair. And I had my fashion over curved dress. And I was like, oh, you know wow. what? I'm going to go all you went, weird. You went full Kardashian. I Yeah, but no, not full Kardashian. I went <laughs> full weird. So I was like, let's just give this a whirl and see what comes out. Uh-huh. Let's see how I feel. So I had my short hair that was all gelled back. And then I had my really cool dress. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to wear sneakers on this. And I'm going to wear... <laughs> Weird multicolored socks. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to make wear hoop earrings on all of oh, that. yes, hoops. And I'm going to do a really bold, colorful eyeliner. Wow. And I was like, you know what? Let's just give it all. Uh-huh, yeah. And yeah. it looked good. Yes. <laughs> Have you worn it since? No, I haven't. But I oh, want to do more edgy stuff like that. Yeah, because it's was... winter now, but... <laughs> like, damn, stupid bodycon dresses. Damn it. They do... They do hug your skin, though. Okay. So it's warm, I reckon. It's kind of warm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't go out much. It's a body thermal. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm really glad I could not have taken that risk before. Uh Uh-huh. That's incredible. Yeah. That's so amazing. Well done. But the common thread between what you and I are saying is that when we were feeling mentally low, Instagram helped us figure out what where we wanted to get to sort of yeah right? yeah call me wanky but i just love like i do love to look at clothes and instagram as even just as art yes yeah absolutely and i think like the 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 clothes there are clothes that are just art yeah and yeah. i love to see them as pieces absolutely and so yeah and i like, too have i have, I have collections on instagram I save clothes that I would never wear, that mm-hmm. would never fit me, mm. but I love it so much, the aesthetic, the s- expression of that, you know, garment as, as some personality of the designer. Yeah. I save them on my collections and Instagram. Yeah, because it's just so, gl- it's so lovely to, and joyful to look at. Yeah. One of the other big things that happened to me this year was I went through a phase of extreme obsession <laughs> with this Indian actor called Ranveer Singh. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Indian listeners or those who know about the <laughs> film industry might know who I'm talking about, but he is this amazing, incredible fashionista dude. He is super gender bendy in his expression. He's mm-hmm. a very masculine, tra- like what, what one would consider traditionally masculine guy, 
but he takes a lot of risks with his clothes, with mm-hmm. his colors, with um, and he wears avant-garde clothes oh. and fashions and. Um, I will have to look him up. Look him up. It is so cool. Wait, hold on, let me show you. Hold What's on. his name? Ranveer Singh. Okay. Look on your Instagram. So as we're talking right now, we're looking at Ranveer Singh's Instagram. Mm-hmm. People. Uh, so he wears every style that he wants to explore, every aspect aspect of himself. He explores it through clothes. So whether he wants to look like a really dapper gent, um, whether he wants to look like a oh my rapper. God, he's great. Isn't he? Um, sometimes he wants to look absolutely wacky and crazy. Sometimes he wants to look more feminine. Sometimes he wants to look more masculine. But he does it all with a twist. There's always some kind of twist. There's mm. always some kind of personal touch that he puts in all of his looks. His aesthetic is not just one style. His aesthetic is extra. That's his, like, excess. Uh-huh. That's the Ranveer Singh aesthetic. Yeah. Or, like, really, really polished, really thoughtfully curated. That's that's his aesthetic. And I would just spend hours flipping through Ranveer Singh's Instagram. His wife, who's also a very big actor, her name is Deepika Padukone. She was also really well put together. Of course, not as experimental as him, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> Only one per relationship, please. <laughs> <laughs> Only one crazy allowed in a relationship. But... I, to the point that I had to unfollow him because I was getting obsessed. (laughs) That's so funny. I was getting obsessed with him and his look. And I wanted, and that's, he was part of the reasons why I went out and bought those damn Adidas sneakers (gasps) in the first place. That's amazing. Because he's an Adidas, oh my God. We're looking at him wearing He's wearing a Dior fluoro yellow suit. Oh my God. That's a little bit utilitarian Mm -hmm. and a little bit. But he also has these cool sunglasses. I should stop talking about Ron Singh. What a gift. I followed him. Oh, yes. He is the best. Oh. And I just wanted, as much as I wanted to have a man like that in Mm -hmm. my life as a friend, as a romantic partner, whatever, I wanted to be him. Yeah. I wanted to be him so bad Mm -hmm. that um, I actually, when I chopped off my hair, I went and looked up how Ranveer Singh styles his hair. And I tried to do Ah, a bit of that as well. Like. I, I I was trying to become more him. Yeah. And, um, I, f- I would feel a lot of despair at the fact that I couldn't have, I, I didn't have access to all these clothes and I couldn't have um, the things that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, he has like millions of pairs of sunglasses. Oh, gosh. Millions of pairs of shoes. Ugh, well, jealous. I'm so jealous that I can't do myself and my aesthetic mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah, there's like, I I mean, I definitely feel the same way. And right now I'm at the point of like, oh, maybe I should learn how to sew. Because there are some very specific designs that I'm like, I can't find this anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have like, when you like kind of evolve past. Yeah. But also there's a massive like DIY thing. And like some of the best like weird experimental um, streetwear People kind of make their own clothes or are really starting to. Right. And so I was like, oh, my God. But I've just, that's just, I just can't even, I don't even want to touch a sewing machine. <laughs> like, I'm happy to pay someone to yeah, do that. Yes, yes. But I'm like, oh, God, bitch, you don't have money. <laughs> like, I don't you're have, have money to, to pay you $500 to sew me something. Yeah, yeah. or like, you can do like the, a real like off-white utilitarian thing and fucking duct tape it together. And that's art. Yes. Or like staple it or yes. just... Like use. There's a lot of weird um, 
futuristic utilitarian post-apocalyptic fashion yeah i'm like so into it yeah. right now which you could just make yourself really mm. with duct tape and fabric yeah uh, and just walk around like looking costumey in the middle of the street oh yeah yeah that's my thing is like i love instagram fashion but sometimes there's definitely stuff that I've bought that you can't wear anywhere. No. Like, there are no occasions to wear them to <laughs> except for a photo shoot. Like, or if you have really cool friends that constantly have, like, art gallery openings. Yeah. Or, you know, things. I, you seem to have that a I, lot. I do. I do. You seem to be going but to cool events. But it's also a lot of effort because I live an hour away from the city. But that's the thing. Nobody sees the effort behind that. Yeah. I mean, the secret is, like, when I've gone to shoots... We do bring it in a fucking bag and we change in and out of trackies. We do the shoot. We go in, we get into the clothes that are completely impractical and then we change out of them because you just can't walk. You just don't want to walk around the city in that sometimes because you get catcalled or or just whatever. Yeah. Um, Or just sometimes you're just straight up wearing something that you can't actually sit in <laughs> but but again there, there's also this like the comfort trend that i'm so glad is a trend because mm. uh yeah i feel like when i became a person suddenly everyone was wearing runners and i was like thank god yes runners are everything people are wearing them to their weddings yes people oh are wearing yes. them you know like when i see run Singh, i come back to run Singh. no always when i come when i see run Singh and his wife they often uh wear really fancy couture clothes with runners yeah of course the runners also cost like two thousand dollars yeah yeah they're probably fucking (laughs) um but so you're a model and you do modeling do you i am not a model i just like to model yeah you know yeah um so you were talking about how when you were at your lowest point instagram played a part in helping you come out of it and Mm -hmm. you did a lot of shopping Mm. um it was a eight month long shopping spree Wow. It was long. Um, How did you feel when you were shopping all of these things? Uh, Sometimes I would feel more more on Instagram. Like sometimes I'd feel like really overwhelmed. Like I could never get enough clothes. I just could never wear all these things. I don't have time. I don't have money. And I'd get kind of anxious doing that. But it's, it's more like my own desire to consume every possible thing more than any anxiety from, oh, I'm not good enough for these people. Um, so it was more like, oh, God, I don't have the resources. And then when I'd go into a store, the the store, go shopping in a store is more immediate, and I love that. Yeah. Um, although I shop, I don't know, like half my clothes probably online. But, yeah, when you're, into, when you're in a store and you see a jacket that just takes your breath away it's like the world disappears and it's like love Mm. like I have so much belief in like fate when it comes to clothes I just like I always trust that the right thing will be in the right size in the right price range and I can go pick it up (laughs) yes that's the dream I always assume that too and therefore I'm constantly disappointed oh yeah 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 um, I feel like so much of our millennial Gen Z culture is based on consuming. Mm-hmm. Like when my mom was, and my mom always reminds me when I was your age, blah, 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 blah. But literally when my mom was my age or even younger, when she was in university in high school, she literally had like three pairs of clothes mm-hmm. and like three pairs of good clothes. Yeah. And she would just wear those on rotation and pretty much everyone was like that yeah my my mom was that as well she'd always be like oh god you know when i was a kid or 
Mm. whatever like they never got brand new clothes unless it was their birthday and she'd always kind of tell me that because she she loves shopping possibly Mm. more than I do Mm. and she will dress better than I ever will to be honest and now she like loves to shop always like a bargain and always on sale unlike me but she loves clothes and yeah and it's amazing like she's so excited to have the resources and the money but she did not when she was growing up and she didn't even have like she dressed pretty badly as a uh, as a young woman in the yeah. Philippines. Yeah. And I feel that too. I'm like uh, I feel like my mom did not move here so I can buy transparent <laughs> pants to match my transparent hat. Made but of plastic. I feel like it's a wasted opportunity. Look. Yeah, she but, gave us this life in Australia. Let's make the best use legit, of it. Legit. I'm like maybe she did want me <laughs> to buy these transparent pants made of PVC. I feel like in those old days there was not many people taking pictures of them of people. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot no. of um whereas you have now to pay for it. Yeah, you had to pay for it. It was rare if somebody had a camera. I know that in the West it was probably more common to have cameras and stuff at home. But in India it wasn't generally for middle class Mm-hmm. Or for most of the population, those things weren't very affordable in the 60s, 70s, and mm-hmm. 80s. Um, in my family, they had cameras, but it wasn't such a common thing to just take a camera out every time you went, take pictures of yourself. Like mm-hmm. now we take a selfie <laughs> and check in if we, you know, it's like if you're sitting at home and the sunlight looks a particularly nice <laughs> yeah. way on your eyelashes, you take a damn selfie. Like, yes. And post it. It's like feeling like cute, that. might delete later. Yeah. Um, but. In those days, a picture was a relatively more special occasion. Mm. And so without like your appearance being documented for a long time, people, I think, didn't were not so caught up in clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, they were probably, I mean, obviously everyone has vanity and it's always existed in every, in whatever form throughout the ages. But I feel like now our identities have become associated so much with things yeah. for our generation. Yeah, I think it's because it's become easier as well to associate yourself with things now. Yeah. Um, and it's easier to associate your image and your reputation and your identity yeah. with things that you can consume. Mm. I mean, we care a lot about social issues. Mm. We care about climate change. We care about cruelty to animals, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, we the alternative to not consuming and buying things is to just look is almost like social suicide because it's like you're um not really anybody special you're Mm. not standing out you're not making the best of what you have your personality there's this post um i forgot who did it on instagram but it was Mm -hmm. just a it was like a photo with like a quote on it and it was like the most environmentally friendly piece of clothing right now is the one in your closet and i was like oh I was like, (laughs) absolutely. My tiny brain was blown. Blown. (laughs) That is such a good quote. That is such an important reminder. I was like, I hate myself. (laughs) I know. It's like I want the new clothes. I want those environmentally friendly, um, ethically made pants. (laughs) I need them. I need them, obviously, and I do have them. I know. It's it's hard. It's so hard to remember that the most environmentally friendly things are already that stuff that you own Mm. and just wear it. I'm making a massive push towards vintage clothes and secondhand shopping. Yeah. 
Um, partly for um, for budget purposes, but also when you go to like curated vintage stores, the stuff there is so stunning and so unique and so akin to myself. Yeah. What sort of like, stores are you going to? Um, I go to Shag a lot. Um, the one in where is it? The one Brunswick in like Street? Brunswick yeah. and the one in Windsor mm-hmm. and Vintage Garage. I've bought I've bought quite a few things from. Are like my two favorite. Yeah, and just like whatever retro star sale is on, like those warehouse sales. Yeah, those are also my favorite. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, I I'm I'm constantly torn between spending money on my appearance and my looks and my style and fashion, versus spending money on my um, other sorts of self expression like mm. books or podcasts, yeah. like, like equipment, producing, producing yeah. stuff. Um, and I find it really frustrating that I in a way I kind of blame society for pushing this thing on me all the time mm-hmm. like I wish that everyone else wasn't setting such high standards yeah. of appearance and everyone just looked drab so then I could be drab <laughs> in with everyone else. with everyone yeah. else I think it's about like readjusting mm. what makes you happy is a big one I think for for us and for everybody um and kind of going Oh, like having this one special piece that I wear everywhere is a cool thing. And it's like a signature look and it's a signature piece for myself that ever that everyone will kind of remember me for. But and, being yeah. a minimalist is also It's um, also an aesthetic choice. It's an aesthetic choice. It takes courage. It's a lot of effort like with even if you do want to have a lot of clothes and like making but making sure that they do clothes swaps with friends and and all that stuff it's a lot of effort to maintain yeah. oh, it's so much effort I it is so be much bothered. effort yeah i just couldn't be bothered <laughs> but i am trying to figure out like how what can i do now because i feel like i'd went on this massive massive shopping spree but of course my style is going to keep evolving yeah. so how do i adjust to that without having to spend more yeah um so we were intending to originally talk about capitalism and we've veered into the wonderful world of vintage shopping and styling yeah um, I mean but, as a wave you know yeah. either embracing or combating capitalism. exactly so coming back to capitalism what did you you probably did a lot of research for Vanity Fair enough what were some of the things that you learned about capitalism and how they impact millennial lives there was I mean there was a lot of stuff about burnout and about productivity rates mm. and so I wrote about that yeah. Of just like, oh God, I'm and you and you feel guilty whenever you're not doing productivity. And yeah, so that was a big one. And it's about how we live in the world and how we aren't taking care of the world. Um and the decline of of the environment is causing all sorts of impacts to uh, to us as people and as consumers. And I think that's really important to to draw attention to that. And yeah. I think people who are interested in fashion are interested in the environment and a lot of them are it's it is a hot topic whether we we like you care about it genuinely or not the amount of time that one might spend trying to find their look and their style and cultivating that and maintaining that mm-hmm. if they were to s- redirect that time into caring for the environment that would mean they would have to give up looking unique or looking themselves or looking fashionable or even just looking like a particular style Mm-hmm. And they would have to adopt a more, you know, more boring aesthetic, which is just whatever clothes are available, just wear them. So you almost have to become austere in your pre- presentation of self in order to care about the environment. Of, you know what I mean? 
I I don't know if I do mm. about that. I feel like if we stopped production of all clothing right now, I think people will find a way. People will just have to learn how to sew, like like in the in the olden days, how yeah. everyone knew how to sew and everyone would have to mend their own clothes because that was that world. Yeah. Um. I think everyone would just by necessity have to learn how to sew and if or if you want to look unique then you're gonna have to bloody learn mm. how to do that with the resources you have and yeah. so i think i think it'll be a bigger push towards creativity mm. rather than having like an austere aesthetic um but this whole idea that we all need to have our unique aesthetics is a very capitalist idea Oh, yeah. It's definitely been driven by capitalism that you have access to all of these clothes, so why not? Mm-hmm. But Or unique aesthetic in the in the context of something relatively acceptable socially as well. Socially as <laughs> well. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but what if we lived in a communist or socialist um, political economic regime? Mm-hmm. Um, that would really affect the way we, we dress and the clothes that we wear, and it would really reduce our options and probably reduce is, our... Is this like a think... Is this a, uh, what do you call it? A thought experiment? Thought experiment, yes. <laughs> if all of us had less variation in our clothes, and even if our, our even if we didn't care so much to, to be very individually dressed or, or look cool, would that help us to conserve more of our mental energy and time and hmm. redirect it towards the more pressing causes right now? Interesting. I don't know. I actually have no idea. Like, I feel like I'd have to yeah. completely reorganize my entire life. Yeah. Because if, if someone goes, okay, Margot, okay, Amruta, we can only wear a black turtleneck and a brown skirt for the rest of our lives or brown pants, um, I'll be like, okay, like, if I was going to get killed if I didn't, I mm. guess I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and... I, that's so interesting. I feel like I would have a little bit of a breakdown for a couple of months. But then we'd but be then okay. But then everyone yeah. will have that breakdown. And like, that will be fun. Collective. Yeah. <laughs> Collect. That's, yeah. But look at that North, North Korea, for example. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's any sort of ideal of a happy society or <laughs> a very... Gray chic. <laughs> I feel like... I mean, that's like utilitarian, isn't that it? That is so utilitarian. <laughs> that is like beautiful norm core that's made into something. I don't know. Anyway. Uh-huh. Um. So North Korea has very little, very few acceptable styles of clothing for people. And I guess self-expression isn't really as encouraged in that um, Mm. country as it is in other parts of the world. So I'm just thinking that if youngsters, I mean, I'm sure that there's still fashion there. I'm still sure there's still uh, vanity there. But Mm -hmm. if the youngsters there don't have the ability to be whoever they want to be, as people in other parts of the world do... What are then the thoughts occupying their minds? What are they actually doing with their lives and their identities and their self? And what do they see as their most valuable um, output? Yeah, that's like so interesting. I actually don't know that much about the the social, I guess, like the social context of North Korea. But now I think I want to. Yeah, because I guess more too. I don't know. Like, is it more family? It's would there be like. I imagine, or from the very little I know, there might be a greater emphasis on family and on work. Mm. 
I don't know if that's the same as or social service. Yeah, of like yeah. social. So pro- yes, yeah, yeah, so ideas of, of productivity social... are also then then questioned, right? The productivity is quite rigid and different from how we imagine it here. Yeah, yeah. of like interesting. If you have to work in whatever capacity that is required of you. Mm. Yeah. So in yeah. your research for Vanity Fair Enough, what did you come across in terms of social? You, you would, When we talked before the recording, you were saying something like young people have more, they're capitalists but have more socialist leanings these days. Oh, as, as um, the potential solution. Yeah. Yeah. I was, okay. Yeah, I think you asked something like, what what is the next step? towards achieving a better society and I, I guess in like a post-capitalist society um, it would be kind of a greater emphasis on communal like communal living um, even communal thinking which I think is starting to really pick up now there's it would like community gardens and kind of a, a greater emphasis on neighborliness mm. yeah and I think like connect like connecting to other people i think if we if we readjust what we value in terms of consumerism then i think we'll feel the same amount of of happiness and of i don't know of like self-contentness without the material things if we if we kind of shift our focus to be on our relationships with each other and finding like a group of people that you really connect with and you really get along with yeah so what might happen to Instagram if we all started thinking this way? Then the beauty, fashion, health in- influencers would have to talk about something else? Yeah, I think, I mean, like with, with this DIY thing, I think there might be a bigger shift in, mm. or for now, from what I can picture, um, a bigger shift in repurposing clothes that mm. are that already exist. And people have been doing that incredibly yeah. recently and have always been doing that incredibly um, so I think if they make that the cool thing, then that will be what happens. And I have a song on my show called Ethics, and it's just about recon- – it's about it, – it was saying, like, if we can rebrand ethics as E-T-H-I-X, and it's, like, a hot thing. It's the hot thing to do. Yeah. And if you want to be hot, you're going to be ethical. It's, it's a tongue-in-cheek way to put it. But yeah. if you make ethical consumption the common thing – then it becomes the common thing and it becomes the thing that everyone wants to join. Mm. And it's, yeah, and it's not about living a necessarily like living that green, neutral color, minimalist life. But if you kind of make it kind of sexy, yeah, then yeah, like yeah. it'll be something that people want to join. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with what you're saying. And at the same time, I want to present a different future in which we're not so obsessed with what others think of us and mm-hmm. we're not so obsessed with being um, all of us being special and putting our names out there and that if we if we try really hard and if we strive really hard, we could be the best at something and we could be really exceptional and cool and mm. everyone wants to be exceptional. Um, ironically, in their bid to be exceptional, everyone is ending up looking the same on yeah. Instagram and other stuff, mm-hmm. but... Whatever what I'm saying is that this ideal that if you try hard enough, then you can have anything that you want, no matter what what uh, it it requires of you. If we sort of redirected our focus to that and 
spent it towards uh i'm i have like everyone i mean i'm not saying everybody just denies their special talents or whatever but if our focus becomes a bit more on the planet rather than on self promotion mm-hmm. in yeah. a way yeah i mean because because we are in this capitalist society and we want to get ahead and at the very least make sure we live and make enough money to survive it's kind of necessary to play that game, game a little bit which yeah. is which is annoying but like in the, in my ideal world we can all just make whatever crappy work we <laughs> yeah, want to yeah. without having to worry about commercial appeal mm. and without having to ha- make work that will make us money because sometimes that just is a completely different part of myself mm. um and what i really want what i want to make other most of the time is maybe not commercially viable um but if we could live in a society where we could all do something that isn't for, for profit but mm. we can still maintain mm. a, an act like a life yeah a, a livable life yeah um and have all the necessities then i think that's that's the ideal yeah interesting well yeah and not have it i guess be about talent necessarily but Mm. just like cool that is your creative expression i love it i appreciate it here's mine and it's not a competition anymore right and yeah and because capitalism is so about competition and Mm. about competing and about yeah competing for opportunities and prizes and competing for likes and followers yeah competing for like an audience is what it is really yeah, absolutely um, yeah but we need that audience to keep making as creatives mm. and it's really it's really hard to do that when like we're in a world that doesn't quite value creativity yeah or, like, or, or individual right now the government expression. right yeah yeah the, where it's like always defunding mm. like public public broadcasters and and like institutions and like creative institutions so it's like okay well we're gonna have to do other things yeah and then we forget about the th- sometimes we forget about the things that we really want to make yeah and so that's not as fulfilling mm. yeah i agree interesting mm. perspective so we talked about so many things today yeah what's oh gosh we did trendy and what's our identity what's the identity of a city or a place or i mean so many issues related to mm. appearance and identity and expression so if today's episode was a parable, what would be the moral of the story? Ooh, oh my gosh. The moral of the story is... The moral of the story is that we have to find a balance between being the, the coolest, most unique or whatever person and also caring for the environment because we can't sustain, in my view, we, we can't sustain a purely self growth focused mm-hmm. life because it might have impacts on the environment like yeah you know, the, the impact of con- like uh, unfortunately self-expression is so tied in with consumerism and materialism mm. that our self-expression could be harmful to the environment yeah so yeah that's one moral of the story so and i guess like looking outside of ourselves looking outside is of a big one for definitely. like looking out for the needs of other people and the like the needs of of the world and like of society as a whole yeah i guess and whether we challenge that or we embrace it yeah i think yeah but i mean this is not to say that everyone has to be that way this is Mm. just a discussion on some things that because social media and especially instagram and um things that are you know fashion have such an impact on our lives more than probably our previous generations lives that this is just something that worries me and you and other people Mm -hmm. i'm sure so it's just a discussion 
on yeah. the various options, not necessarily a very moralistic, like, you have to start blah, 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 yeah. blah, thinking oh, yeah. like blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't even know morals. <laughs> it's more, I said, but yeah, also I'm really interested, like, I really would want to see, like, ethics, E-T-H-I-X, being, like, the buzz, the cool influencer trend, ethics. Yeah. Hashtag ethics. Hashtag ethics. Yeah, it's it's like a club song, like Lady Gaga, like early Lady Gaga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time, and thank, thank you for you. coming on the podcast and sharing so many interesting perspectives and laughs with oh, me. Thank you for having me. I love this chat. Do you have anything that you want audience to come and see you in? Watch you. Uh, I'm doing a fringe show from Melbourne Fringe called Polygamy Polyga You, oh, cool. and it's a it's an it's an original musical that I'm writing with Haley Tantow, uh, Alice Tovey, and Charity Work, aka Charlie Lewin, and they're all comedians, and we all did solo shows at Comedy Fest. That is so yeah. cool. All of them are really great comedians. They're amazing, and yeah, we're just three sister wives. I'm the youngest one, Aww. and our husband dies, and we sing at his funeral, and a Hollywood agent sees us and is out to exploit us. Dream girls meets like ranch wives. Yeah, it's like so ridiculous. Like some kind of compound. Absolutely. And like... <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much. And I hope everyone goes and watches Polygamy, 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 uh, in French Festival. Yeah. Bye, Margot. Bye, Muda. Bye, everyone. Bye.